This is an ABC podcast. Lock the doors. That's climate action now. This Prime Minister does not like scrutiny. The Labor Party is clearly embarrassed. It is time the Prime Minister apologises to the Australian people for his sports rot scandal. Those opposite are all smear and no idea. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Fran Kelly from RN Breakfast. And I'm Patricia Carvellis from RN Drive. And it's been all about The Party Room in Canberra this week, Fran. (laughs) Not our actual Party Room podcast, of course, although I know they secretly listen, but the actual Party Room in Federal Parliament. A couple of party rooms. The actual party rooms, that's right. One week into this political year, unbelievable, PK. We've had already two leadership votes. One of them, unavoidable and non-contentious, Richard Di Natale from the Greens announced on the first day back he would step down as leader and Adam Bant was elected the next day unopposed. The other vote, though, very contentious, entirely self-indulgent, Barnaby Joyce deciding to launch a challenge against the Nationals leader, Michael McCormick. We weren't expecting that, PK. We weren't expecting it. But as soon as Bridget McKenzie resigned her post after the sports rorts saga, which we're going to get into in more detail, over the weekend, that happened after our last recording of the podcast, and, of course, that meant she also resigned from being deputy leader of the Nationals, that meant that that had to be, you know, opened up. And ultimately, David Littleproud has been elected as the deputy leader of the Nationals. And that allowed Barnaby Joyce, who has always coveted his old job back, I think that has been pretty blatant for the last couple of years since he lost the job, to launch a bid to take over again. Now, he claims, and he spoke to you, Fran, this week, that it's because his colleagues asked him. He feels like the Nationals have lost their identity and not muscling up to the Liberals. And it was a chance for him to do that. Now, Ultimately, he didn't win, but the fact that Michael McCormack won, but we we think probably not by a lot, and either way, we know the Nationals are divided on this, I think is problematic for the Nationals and I reckon pretty problematic for the, the coalition government and the Morrison government, and I think the Prime Minister knows it. So, yes, it was timed very badly on the day that the Parliament got together for condolences over a horrible bushfire season that I think has changed the country and changed our political debate. But, you know, this I reckon this is something that this tension in the Nationals and therefore the government is going to be the bigger theme of this year. I think that's right. Coalition uh, division is on display early. I mean, I just want to say about the timing of this National Party Leadership Challenge, I used the word self-indulgent before, it was shameful really. They're in fighting, overshadowing the events of the Parliament that day, which was the whole day set aside for tributes and condolences motions for people who've lost their lives in the summer bushfires. Most of those communities, PK, are regional and rural, Nats Heartland. I just thought it looked really hard. Heartless. Of course, it came to naught. We now have Barnaby the Vanquished. Um, or is he? I suppose that's an ongoing question. Yeah, well, look, I think at this stage you're not going to see the sort of what we saw with Malcolm Turnbull, you know, within a week a two strike, although no. you know, some people were saying that at the start. I don't think that that's what we're going to see. I don't think by the end of the week you're going to see another leadership challenge, although I'll probably eat my hat if it happens and, you know, it'll be embarrassing for me, but I'm pretty certain well, but, just on that, because you mentioned earlier, we still, you know, we don't know the votes, but it was close. I mean, Barnaby Joyce has been texting people saying one vote in it. So the line put out from the, the Joyce camp, and there was a Joyce camp, was that of the 21, they got 10 votes. It was 10-11. The McCormick camp saying something very different to that. We don't know. In a way, you know, I asked one that yesterday, David Littleproud, you know, why don't we know? Surely we should know so we know how secure and how much authority Michael McCormick has in his party room. David Littleproud said, 
it, it doesn't matter. It's settled, it's done and dusted. But actually, I think that number does matter. And if people do know it, that could have some impact on whether this all goes around again. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the number absolutely matters in terms of authority and just how overwhelming the vote is. It is significant. But there's another angle to this too, right? Is this just about ambition? I reckon absolutely it has a lot to do with Barnaby Joyce's ambition. But to think it's only about ambition, I think, is to misunderstand the bigger fight here. And this is a fight, in my view, for the heart and soul of the National Party, its identity, how it plans to remake itself. Mm. The fact that Matt Canavan quit from Cabinet to, I think, create a bit of momentum for Barnaby Joyce. He used to work for him. They're very close. But the kind of values that they both argued for, and let me explain what I mean. As soon as this vote was over, right, Barnaby Joyce didn't win, Michael McCormack had won, there's a joint party room. So the Nationals and the Liberals meet on their own, and then there's a big joint party room meeting where the, the parties meet together and all the MPs can raise things. And in this party room meeting, as has been reported extensively on this week, Fran, the climate wars re-erupted. So after the bushfire season, of course, there's been a huge rethink. There's a royal commission into the bushfires that the Prime Minister's beginning. You know, I think there's a lot of soul-searching about emissions reduction, hazard reduction, mitigation, how to deal with all of this. And in that party room meeting, we saw from Barnaby Joyce and from a couple of the others, mm. uh, George Christensen, Matt there are Canavan, other names. George Christensen and uh, right. a long line of them really spoke out. Yeah, a push essentially to say we will not respond to this bushfire crisis. We should not respond to the party room by taking stronger action on climate change, that this is the wrong read and that people don't want this in our electorates. And what happened in response to that I think is fascinating for the, the bigger issues that will end up falling onto the Prime Minister to resolve in that party room, which is that the Liberals, the moderate Liberals, the ones who are, you know, need to hold on to seats where people are cranky about all of this, stood up, people like Trent Zimmerman, Katie Allen, and said, we will not, we must take this seriously. And so essentially, I think that fight is at the heart of Michael McCormack's problems, ultimately the Prime Minister's problems, and that's the bigger debate here. It's not just about personalities. No, it's not just about personality. It's an existential crisis the Nats are facing because they've got, uh, you know, a massive assault on their vote in regional rural Australia from One Nation, from the Shooters and Fishers Party. And so they're trying to establish themselves as the party of the bush, but also the party, and this was interesting, Matt Canavan saying, we're the workers' party. It's not Labor anymore. It's the Nats representing coal workers, for instance, you know, representing other industry workers that are rural-based industries. I thought that was a very interesting pitch, and I I wonder how that other element of the National Party support base, the farmers, those living out in the bushfire areas, are feeling about that. Those are the ones who have been suffering from drought. You know, as the Prime Minister keeps saying, climate change means drier and hotter summers. So he's making the link. I think a lot of those people living on the land are making the link. And yet the National Party or some elements of them are saying, we can't abandon coal. We've got to have, in fact, more coal-fired power generation. So I I think there's a split in the coalition party room. I wonder if there's a split within the National Party voter base itself too. 
Yes, and that's the existential question, and that's the big fight that's going to be had, I think, in the coalition. Of course, the nationals is what you're referring to there, but the broader argument they're going to be having because this is not resolved. And, you know, Tony Abbott was voted out of the parliament. Some people thought perhaps these issues would become easier to deal with, but I don't think they're going to be easier at all. In fact, I think they just got a lot harder in some ways for the Prime Minister. And PK, I just think what is surprising is that this debate is happening right off the back of the bushfires. The general consensus, I think, was that the bushfires will have perhaps changed the debate a little on climate change. But here we are, we're right back where we were not just a year ago, but several years ago when Tony Abbott was running the Liberal Party. We certainly are, Fran. Look, the reason there was even a vote over leadership is what we mentioned in relation to Bridget McKenzie uh, resigning her position in Cabinet and ultimately opening up the deputy leadership of the Nationals. But the reason she went is over something quite specific in terms of what a report found about what she did wrong, not declaring her gun memberships, but all about the way she, you know, dealt with the sports rorts affair. But what's interesting about this one, I think, is the way that nationals particularly have been talking about it. And Damien Drum, who's the chief whip for the nationals, came onto my show and he said this. Well, it might have been used, you may be right, Patricia, it may have been used not so much for marginal seats, but trying to maximise our performance at the last election. So if Bridget did that, if Bridget did that, she's probably guilty of making exactly the same mistake that every government has made ever since the Federation has been uh, enacted. Trying to maximise our performance at the last election. He said it to you there, PK. He um, sort of belled that cat. And really, I don't think the Nats are walking away from that. They're just not ashamed of it. In fact, some of them think their supporters, their base loves it. They love the fact that if you live in a safe, in a marginal Nats seat, the Nats deliver for you. So they're not walking away from it. Bridget McKenzie had to resign her ministerial position. Interestingly, she's still leader of the Nats in the Senate. So she hasn't been sin binned. And uh, look, I think we'll talk a little more about this with Phil, our guest in the party room today, Phil Curry, coming up. Phil Curry, political editor of the Australian Financial Review and friend of the Party Room podcast. Welcome. No, welcome. Welcome back. Phil, I think it's fair to say it's just about the only party room you'd want to be a member of this week, you'd want to be in. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty, oh, well, from the conservative side of things, it's been a, uh, you know, the Nats have had their their big hit out even before Parliament came back with an attempt to get rid of their leader and that's, I think all that's done is uh, cement uh, the hostilities and, and uh, set the scene for the next one whenever that may be and that of course spilled over into the coalition party room where we've sort of, feels like we've back, gone back about 10 years uh, to the old debate about whether there's <laughs> such a thing as climate change or not and, uh, you know, the Nats versus the moderate Liberals. So nothing's really changed. No, nothing's really changed, but it's intensified in some ways. And, of course, if you look at the Nationals, we've discussed this, just Fran and I, a little earlier. You know, it's very much embedded in their own personality wars, McCormack versus Hmm. Barnaby Joyce and these sort of factions and tendencies on these issues. But it's a bigger problem for Scott Morrison. And after the ferocious bushfire season, there was a bit of a pivot on this. But this week we heard Scott Morrison say he won't be bullied on this Hmm. issue What's happening here? Well, Morrison's walking the middle line is what he's doing. I mean, he's 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 got to balance the demands and beliefs and concerns of the nationals with those of, uh, you know, Trent Zimmerman in North Sydney and Tim Wilson down in, in Melbourne and so forth and, and Katie Allen, the inner city libs, where, uh, ironically, where climate change is more of an issue in their seats than it is in the, in the seats it's actually impacting, you know, the rural seats. So... Mm. 
So, you know, Morrison still sees this as an issue of, quote, the sensible, you know, unquote, the sensible centre, uh, where he knows he has to address it and he knows he has to acknowledge it, but he's, he's, he's constrained into how far and how quickly he can go. And that's, if you, if you look at his language in the last couple of weeks, especially in the last week, he's actually tightened it right up. He's, he's removed all the ambiguity out of uh, his language on climate change. Even even while the fires were raging, he, raging, he was still saying climate change is one of many factors yes. driving the fires, remember? And he would say other factors like drought. Well, drought has been caused by climate change and then the drought is exacerbating the fires. So he's removed that sort of ambiguity from his language now. He's quite categoric now every time he says the climate's change is causing the fires and you know we've got to adapt to it or whatever. And even the Royal Commission that he's about to call into this whole thing will will operate on the premise that the fires, the severity and scale of these fires, was caused by climate change. So he's, you know, he's made that shift, which a lot of people have missed. He's also, yeah, the press club last week. I thought one of the things nearly everyone missed, and probably understandably, because there was a big focus on the sports rorts, but he essentially sounded the death knell for coal-fired power, um, you know, with, with, with that gas transition statement where he said, you know, we can no longer rely on sweating these old coal assets, but at the same time, um, you know, the renewables and so forth, clean energy isn't up to scratch in terms of reliability. So we've got to transition and use gas as our transition fuel. He didn't talk about using clean coal or building any more coal-fired power stations, and the Nats missed that as well. Um, and so we've seen this week, um, you know, the Nats have sort of come back and as though Morrison never gave that speech, you know, Matt Canavan and others that's saying, the thing. we need to build coal-fired power. So, yeah, but I, I guess, Fran, what that does, it underscores the line he's trying to tread. You know, he's try- mm. you can sense him trying to drag the party towards the reality of this and the need to acknowledge it, but he's just got these sea anchors, if you like, you know, that, that he's got to drag with him. And how's this going to play out? Because last year the party room was very mm. well behaved. He had all the authority that came with that win, that mm. sort of miracle win. Now he's had that bad summer. He's a little less sort of uh, top of the pops in the polls mm. um, and the Nats are divided. And as you say, Matt Canavan gets into that coalition party room and says we need to be building more and underwriting, subsidising or underwriting coal-fired power mm. generators across the country. It is just like... Scott Morrison didn't speak last week or they didn't hear it and you wonder if that's on purpose, if they're being deaf on purpose and they're determined to keep having this fight. How does he, how does he deal with this? Well, you know, it's the million-dollar question, and it has been for, you know, Liberal leaders, you know, Malcolm Turnbull and not so much Tony Abbott. Well, even with Tony Abbott, Tony Abbott was sort of more towards the, the Nats' way of thinking, but he, he sort of paid lip service to the moderates. You know, well, that's the challenge he has going going ahead. Now, the, the belief inside the, the, the Liberal Party and the coalition is you can play both sides. I mean, you've got to... You know, um, that's why he's not going to do any more or set targets or commit to a net zero emission by 2040 mm. because that that would set the Nats off and he's mindful that the only reason he's in power is because of Queensland and the coal seats. Climate change in Canberra, at least, is still viewed through a political prism. It's how you manage it in order to win an election. It's not how you manage it in order to look after the planet, right? So Yeah, but so that's, talk, got a cha- that's what's got to change. Well, I mean, you've got well, the Reserve you Bank Governor this week yeah. saying climate change is a real threat to the financial stability it of is. the country. Well, you would like to you would like to think that, but these people only think about what wins. And I've just just before I 
spoke to you guys, I was speaking to a pretty senior person in the Liberal Party who said, you know, we've won the last three elections, you know, why would we change? You know, so they, they still see this this sort of walking the middle ground as an election winning strategy. And this is, I think, the problem, you know, from, from, from a non-political point of view is that, you know, the, the bush may burn and so forth. But if Barnaby Joyce and David Gillespie and the rest of them don't think it's a political problem and they've convinced the people or the people in their seats are, are convinced that it's, you know, I don't know, it's sunspots or whatever else, you know. Or, um, Some kind you know, of conspiracy. In, yeah, or Indian Ocean currents, uh, then, you know, that's all that matters to them is winning elections and that's what, you know, runs our country. Yeah, that's at the heart of this. Politics, politics, mm. politics. Look, there's another mm. politics issue. Everything's politics, really, if you're in Canberra. Mm. But that's, of course, the sports rorts saga mm. and it really has been a headache for the government. Bridget McKenzie, of course, falling on a sword. Um, but ultimately, this is still a huge issue because Labor has now launched this Senate inquiry which really could embroil you know, all sorts of people in it. Uh, Phil, what do you make of where that will take us or how much this will continue to be a problem for the government? Look, I think it's entrenched a cynicism amongst the electorate now yeah, that was already there and all this stuff now is going to be looked upon uh, much more closely. I don't think anyone believes the Gaetjens report. Uh, that, and that's, that of course, was, the PM&C well, Prime Minister and Cabinet Secretary's report. Yeah, well, the Prime Minister's uh, version of the Gaetjens report that he won't release, but he told us uh, actually contradicted what the Auditor-General found and found there was no political bias behind the distribution of these grants. I mean, just no-one believes that. It's just so unbelievable, and I don't know whether that's what Phil Gaetjens ultimately concluded or his, his report is being selectively quoted but and, and given it's never going to be released, the, we have to take the PM's view. But I think I think it's you know from a, you know an issue that doesn't really concern most voters. But it's it's, it's an interesting Canberra story. Is, is it, um, Gaitens has, has really been damaged by it. Um, or the Auditor General's been damaged by it because no, on, not, not, because not, not in Canberra circles, Gaitens is actually he, he's the most senior bureaucrat, Fran, and um, there's there's already a wariness about him and his affinity with Morrison and stuff. Sure. And it's, if you, you look at talk in public service circles and stuff, it's done a huge amount of damage to the credibility of uh, the public service and so forth. Um, but you know, is there an issue here about damage? Politically compromised. Sure, mm. but is there an issue here about damage the credibility of the Auditor General more broadly th- beyond think, Canberra I circles? So. I mean, the, I, the I government's saying, so. well, yeah. they got it wrong. I think less so, Fran. I mean, yeah, the government, yeah, but voters are very polarised on things like climate change and so forth. But I don't think they're very polarised on this. I think most people would say <laughs> that was that was a rort, you know. That, not, <laughs> sure. not only yeah. do people think it's a rort, not only because yeah. the auditor general says so, but because like we have evidence, right? Like yes. you yeah, know, well, they they actually colour coded based on the political yeah. party and marginal seat value. And actually, right. now we have several nationals, even David Littleproud, the new deputy leader, saying on seven thirty to Lee Sales that you know, essentially conceding, did he not? Feel that yeah yeah was obviously you know not the best way to do it I think was his language so well and the very fact that government's promised a new round of fund sports funding in the um in the May budget and has sort of urged those who missed out to reapply shows that they that they, they feel that so. It, look, the whole the whole handling of this issue from the PMO was to firewall the PMO. I mean, Bridget McKenzie was was fired or forced to resign, whoever you, you believe, uh, on a technicality. She didn't declare her membership of a gun club, which got a grant. That was all she went for. She didn't go for the rest of it. Had she gone for the rest of it, that would have had huge implications for government. It would have mm-hmm. you know, removed the power of ministers, the discretionary power of ministers, not just for this program, but for all those you know, regional black spot programs and community 
opportunity grants and stuff, those slush funds they ladle out every election, um, it would have made it a lot harder to do that. It would have then opened the door into what role the Prime Minister's ha- office had in directing Senator McKenzie, you know, her office and... I think everyone suspects or believes that you know she didn't do this by herself. That there would have been a few passed onto her office to say this one's come from the top. Make sure you know it gets yeah. the green light. Of course so, it did. So, will so the but, but by, by, by hanging, get to by that? hanging on, well, no, because no one's going to turn up and testify that needs to. I mean, they'll call. <laughs> it's like the impeachment know. inquiry in Washington. Yeah, it is. You know, sending. I mean, it'll be a worthy exercise, but you know, no one from the PMO is going to. You know, you can't compel these people to appear to a Senate inquiry, and you know they'll just obfuscate and whatever. So, but um, it will probably succeed from Labor's point of view in creating enough doubt. Mm, um, that's right. People just have already made up their minds on this. And But what Morrison did in a technical sense by hanging Mackenzie on that technicality, it just a, firewalled his office and it firewalled uh, the government's ability to go on and keep doing this sort of thing. Now, Phil, you're going to have to leave mm. us because the Prime Minister's about to announce mm. his new cabinet. We're recording sure. this on a Thursday morning. Is it a significant shake-up? No, not, not by the sounds of it. I don't think he wants a significant shake-up. Essentially, he has to replace Bridget Mackenzie and uh, Matt Canavan in the cabinet, so Darren Chester. Uh, he goes straight in. He's already the, in the junior ministry for Veterans Affairs. What is interesting is the Veterans Affairs portfolio will now go into Cabinet, so that highlights the Prime Minister's emphasis on that. You notice he you know, established that run, rolling commission this week into veteran suicide, and he's he makes a big play to veterans every time he gives a speech. He not only gives the welcome to country, but he's now adopted that American-ism of thank you for your service. He gives a shout-out to the veterans and uses that American line. So, so he's now given Veterans Affairs Cabinet status, uh, and then Keith Pitt, who's uh, a Queenslander from Bundaberg, he replaces Canavan in the cabinet, and I uh, strongly suspect in the resources portfolio. So Keith's a bit like Canavan; he's a Queenslander. He's pro coal, uh, loves fossil fuels and energy and stuff like that. So it's just sort of one in, one out. But other than that, I think the PM doesn't want to really mess things up too much. And David Littleproud, who is the big winner, mm. really, from all the shenanigans, that was his mm. word, great word, in the um, mm. National Party this week because not only is he Deputy National Party leader, he also will step up and be Agriculture Minister, which is what yes. he was once before and he exactly. lost last time around, so he'll be happy to have that. And not only that, he's also sitting in the box seat, isn't he? He's got a chance now, a pretty young bloke, to mm. really sort of test out his leadership colours yes. and, and see how they fly and really put himself as next in line by bye, bye, bye. Barnaby, I think. Yeah, look, he played it smart uh, on, on, on Tuesday. David Barnaby tried to get him to run on a ticket with him. He said no. Um, you know, uh, he just you know kept his head down, lobbied for the deputy, got it, and as you said, you know, he's now sort of probably the heir apparent. Although I wouldn't rule out another. I think there's probably Barnaby's got one more left in him between now and the next federal election. Um, yeah. Whether, and but that will require a catalyst. You just won't be able to make a run like he did this week on on, on the back of nothing. Um, he'll need something, some sort of misfortune or scandal to befall McCormack or say they start tanking in the polls. I think the one to watch is in October there's an election in Queensland, a state election, and if Hanson and, and all the shooters do well in the regions up there, I think you know, Barnaby might use that as an as a, as a, as a, uh, excuse to have another run. Hey, Phil, as always, mm. awesome. Have a good time at the press conference. Can't wait. Thanks, guys. See you, See you Phil. <laughs> See you. Hey, Fran, the bells are ringing. Questions without notice. The Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, and, and I'm pleased the question time at least is happening, Mr Speaker. And so are we pleased it's question time here on The Party Room, and we've got a question today, PK, from Jaden. 
Jaden asks, will Scott Morrison's handling of the bushfire crisis affect his chances of election in 2022 or will it not matter because it occurred so early in this term of government? My view is that it's too early to tell. It really is. Anyone who predicts the outcome of 2022 now is foolish. In fact, as we've learned, even if you predicted a couple of days before the actual election, you're foolish. Look, I think it is too early in the term. If Scott Morrison manages the recommendations around the Bushfire Royal Commission well, if he manages the split in his party room well, there's a lot of if he does these things well. <laughs> I think that you know, there's there's no reason he can't be re-elected at the next election if people are satisfied that they're taking uh, the climate crisis, the bushfire season more seriously. Mm. But I, I think that's still to be determined. I mean, if there was an election held now, I think maybe the government could be in trouble, but there is no election now and that's not the way it works. Yeah, that's right. He's got a long way to go but uh, to recalibrate, but he needs to because he had a terrible time over summer. He's mishandled this crisis. There are a lot of missteps starting with going on a holiday to Hawaii um, and then not sort of being upfront about it and then being on the back foot. I think he's now, you know, got some equilibrium in this. I think you're right. The Royal Commission allows a reset and how he responds to the recommendations from the Royal Commission will be interesting. But I think it has made people look a little closer at Scott Morrison. I think mostly he was voted in because the general public thought, oh, well, you know, he seems to be doing okay. He seems to be a fairly safe pair of hands, whereas the behaviour and the judgement and some of the decisions taken over summer have, you know, put a bit of question mark over Scott Morrison's judgement and... uh, maybe put a bit of dent in sort of the trust, uh, the trust quotient there for for the Prime Minister. So he needs to really, um, you know, write himself again over this. But I do think he's got time to do it. Let's see what happens. Yeah, look, I think it's so early to tell. But, yeah, it's a big challenge for him. I think he knows that. I think he's. I don't think he missed that memo over the summer period. Look, if you'd like one of your questions to be answered in our special question time, which is clearly superior to the official question time, you can tweet us with the hashtag The Party Room or you can email thepartyroom at abc.net.au. You can send us a clip of you asking the question too. If you've got a smartphone, and I know many of you do, you have an inbuilt voice recorder app. You open it up, make your recording and then email it through to the party room at abc.net.au. Hey, maybe we should add Dorothy Dixes into that and you can ask a question, I can ask a question. Anyway, that's it from us this week from Tell the Tell me, party Fran, room. why are you so wonderful? And then you say, well, uh, I was well. born this way, Patricia, but yes, I work on it occasionally. We could talk but about our dogs, how wonderful they are. Oh, How's Buster could? going? Well, he's home alone at the moment, so I'm a little anxious about him. He's a highly, highly nervous little fellow, but now he's going great. What about Bindi? Well, Bindi was with Nana in Sydney over the summer because we travelled overseas, our family. She's back now. She's just arrived home, and I can reveal exclusively to the podcast audience, for anyone who knows about my dog and my, anyone who my, cares. my struggles <laughs> with, my, with my puppy, that Nana, my partner's mother, has fully trained Bindi. So Bindi now can, you know, fetch and bring back the ball, doesn't run away from me at the park and is generally adorable. In fact, right now she's getting a haircut and very happy to have her home. And thank you, Nana. She was adorable. I think I might send Buster over to Nana's. That's it from us from the party room this week. See you, Fran. See you, PK. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.